following is a Sunday sermon from Hope Presbyterian Church of New Braunfels, a community of people gathered to connect to God, to each other, and to their neighbors. For more information, visit www.hopenb.com. Thank you. Well, actually, we have one more announcement that I have the privilege of being able to make. It's in connection with that first announcement. We are gathering to celebrate tonight. I get to tell you what we're celebrating. So it is my privilege to be able to announce that the Lord has provided, through your generosity, over $660,000 through this initiative for our property fund. I'm so thankful, and uh, yeah, I actually think that deserves a round of applause. Yeah. We're so grateful uh, for the Lord's provision, so excited about what's coming up and ready to dive into this. So we, as last week, we saw that it was Commitment Day in Nehemiah. Uh, this week, it is Dedication Day for us, and it's a Dedication Day in Nehemiah as well. We're finishing our series of Nehemiah in chapter 12. Let me read to you now from God's Word, Nehemiah 12, starting in verse 27, and I'll read through verse 43. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nephalites, and from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asbameth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall, to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshalam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Milalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And I and half of the officials with me, and the priests Eliakim, Messiah, Menanamin, Micaiah, Elianai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Meshiah, Shemaniah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehonanan, Melechiah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day, and they rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stand forever. 
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be gathered today. We're so grateful for your provision. We're so thankful, Lord, for what you have done in and among us, and we are so excited for what you might do through us. Prepare us, not just broadly even for the next chapter in our church's life, but prepare us today that we might hear your word and receive it with gladness, with joy, with thanksgiving. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to spend our time today really focusing on a word, and it's the word that we see actually right at the beginning of this chapter. I'll read it again, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, that word dedication. Now, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, and so I grew up kind of in the radio generation, so I remember radio call-in shows, maybe some of you do. And oftentimes you could call in and you could ask the DJ to play your favorite song for you on the radio. It was just like playing it on iTunes, but for some reason it was a lot cooler because you got to convince somebody else to do it for you. And sometimes people would call in and they would say, not only do I want you to play this song, but I would like to dedicate this song. I would like to dedicate this cheesy love song to joy or whomever. And you could still... To this day, if you are a late-night radio listener, you can tune in and listen to The Delilah Show, where you will get a lot of cheesy love songs dedicated to a lot of different people. And so, growing up, I just thought that's what dedication means. Well, biblically, dedication is a little different. The word dedication in the Bible isn't so much about playing something in honor of somebody else. It's actually a word that is used throughout the Old Testament during times of transition, often for God's people. And it's a word that marks something completed and something going forward. And honestly, when I was reading this passage just to begin with this week, I saw this word dedication, and I thought, well, there it is. They're dedicating, they're marking what has completed. They've finished the building of the wall, and now it's time for the dedication so that we can mark what is past. But really, that's not the sense in the Bible of dedication. In the Bible, the sense of the marking is what is to come. It is marking what is the future. And so you could actually define dedication, biblically speaking, like this, is that dedication is a forward-looking celebration of purpose offered with joy, gratitude, and oftentimes singing. Let me say that again. Dedication is a forward-looking offering or celebration of purpose offered with joy, gratitude, and usually with singing. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take a little tour of dedication in the Bible. We're going to actually look through and see four different places in the Bible where this word dedication is used and God's people gather to celebrate His purpose and do so with joy and gratitude and singing. Okay? So let's take our little tour. Our first stop is actually in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. This is after the building, the completion of the first temple under Solomon. Let me read to you from 2 Chronicles 7. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. There's that word. The priests stood at their posts, the Levites also, with the instruments for music to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever, whenever David offered praise by their ministry. And opposite them, the priests sounded trumpets, and all Israel stood. 
So what's going on here in this dedication ceremony? Well, remember again, our definition, it's a celebration of purpose offered with joy and gratitude and singing. So what is the purpose that is being celebrated? What's the forward-looking purpose? Well, they've just completed the building of the temple. And the purpose of the temple in the Old Testament was to show the people that God actually dwelt with them. The temple was the symbol of God's dwelling with His people. God had told His people something really unique that no other God had ever told a nation before. I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and I'm actually going to come and I'm going to set up shop with you and I'm going to be with you. And so the temple was this place that God's people, whenever they came to Jerusalem, they could look on the temple and they could say, we have something astounding. The creator of the cosmos, who is also our redeemer from slavery, has said to us that he is going to be with us, that he is going to set up shop among us, that he is here among us. That's the purpose of the temple. And then if you'll notice, in celebrating that purpose, what does is, uh, is David tell us they do, or what does the, the chronicler tell us they do, is that they take the instruments of David used for giving thanks. Now, it looks like David, before he had died, David did not actually get to see the finished completion of the temple, but before he died, he prepared well for it. He set aside money. He set aside stuff. He set aside even musical instruments for use in the proclamation of this wonderful ceremony. And so they're using these instruments in order to give thanks, this heart of gratitude that's right at the center of this proclamation. And there's not only joy and gratitude, but there is also singing and music making, isn't there? We're told of a lot of instruments here that David sets aside and that the, the, the Levites use, and then we're told even extra that the priests come in and they're blowing trumpets. So we have stringed instruments, harps and lyres, and we have trumpets. We have all kind of music going on. And we're not told explicitly in this passage, but it's implied that there's also singing. In fact, the chronicler here kind of breaks out almost into song in the middle of this. Listen to this again. Uh, the instruments for music the Lord, the King David, had made for giving thanks to the Lord. And then he just said, for his steadfast love endures forever. That phrase you can find littered all throughout the Psalms. It's this phrase that Israel would repeat over and over to remind themselves of God's incredible steadfast love toward them. And one of the places that you find it most often is all throughout Psalm 118. Listen to these words, just a portion of Psalm 118 here. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. That's worth giving thanks for, that God's mercy, God's steadfast love endures forever with His people. Sounds pretty great. Dedication, presence, thanksgiving, joy, singing, all sounds really nice, doesn't it? And for a little while... It was pretty nice. Under Solomon's reign, that purpose was actually being shown forth to the world, and Israel, God's people, were actually leaning into their purpose to be a light to the nations. But pretty soon, if you keep reading in Second Chronicles, what you read is that pretty soon after Solomon's reign, the country splits and divides. The kings of both the north and the south are really, by and large, not very good. 
And by and large, they lead God's people into idolatry. And at the end of Second Chronicles, what you have is that because of that idolatry, God delivers them into the hands of their enemies. And the king of Babylon comes in, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and not only takes people captive, but he actually burns the temple. And when you finish out Second Chronicles, you find God's temple, this place that was the symbol of God living and dwelling with his people, broken down and in ruins. The people are scattered and the temple is destroyed. But of course, it's not the end of the story, is it? And that brings us to our second scene. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Ezra chapter 6. After 70 years in exile in Babylon and then Persia, God so graciously delivers his people out of that bondage and brings them back to Jerusalem. And through the ministry of Ezra the priest, they begin a rebuilding project of the temple, the second temple, rebuilding this temple, again, to declare God's unique presence among them. And here's what we listen to. Here's what Ezra writes about the finishing of that temple and the dedication of the temple. Listen to these words. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. They dedicate, they proclaim, and they do so, Ezra tells us, with joy. In that Second Chronicles passage, we really kind of focused on the thanksgiving, the gratitude. Here, Ezra focuses on the joy. But the two are pretty tied together, aren't they? They're really inextricably linked. It's very hard to have joy if you don't also have gratitude. And so if the dedication is the forward-looking celebration of purpose, you have to also have that backward-looking gratitude that brings present-day joy. I actually have in my office a painting that my mom painted for me. It's an abstract painting with these words across it. It says, thankfulness leads to joy. And she's right. Thankfulness leads to joy. In fact, I have experienced this opposite fairly acutely even this week. I have not had much joy this week. And I haven't had a lot of joy this week because I haven't had a lot of gratitude. I felt a lot of sorry for myself in a lot of ways, but not a lot of thankfulness, not a lot of gratitude. And friends, if you want to kill joy, there's a really easy way to do it, and that's to kill gratitude and thankfulness in your heart. Because it's almost impossible to fill your heart with joy if it's not filled with thankfulness. All right, third scene. It's in Nehemiah 12, what I just read for us. You can open your Bible back to that passage if you like, and let me read for you that verse 27 one more time. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Here's our formula again, right? Joy, gratitude, and singing. When, when we moved here, we moved from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I was on staff of First Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, which was, uh, is still a historic church in downtown Baton Rouge. 
And so being in downtown, you know, I mean, it's got a big, beautiful building, steps that kind of lead up into the sanctuary, and it's on this big, beautiful street, North Boulevard, that's a divided boulevard. And every Palm Sunday, the church would celebrate Palm Sunday in this really fun and unique way. They would actually close off the whole block of North Boulevard. And people would gather about 45 minutes before the worship service, and we'd gather on the steps of the church, and then we would be led around the block. We would kind of parade around the block, and because it was Palm Sunday, we were led by someone dressed as Jesus leading a donkey around, which, of course, my first year being the rookie, I got to lead the donkey. But donkey leading notwithstanding, it was a beautiful ceremony. Because we're all walking around, we're parading around the block together, the choir director is leading us in singing, and so walking around the block together in this amazing way, this large congregation, and everybody is lifting their voices, and all of downtown can hear these praises to the Lord. It's really beautiful. And then we come back to the sanctuary and all process into the church and all have a worship service together. It's really a glorious ceremony. And it's a lot like what's going on actually here in Nehemiah. Now, it may have gotten lost with all of those names that are hard for me to pronounce, but here's what's happening in Nehemiah. All of the people are gathered after the wall is completed, and Nehemiah says, here's what we're going to do. We are going to rejoice together, and we're going to need some help from two really big professional choirs. So they bring in two choirs, and Nehemiah divides the group in half, and he says, we're going to send one half of the people to the right with one of those choirs, and one half of the people to the left with the other choir. And they're going to get up on top of the wall and walk around the wall and surround the entire city with music. And so here's these two choirs, these amazing choirs leading the people in singing and lifting their voices in praise, surrounding the entirety of the city until they meet again in the temple and they process into the temple and they have a worship service together. Can you imagine how beautiful that would be or just being a person just sitting in the city at that time and hearing this incredible music of praise all throughout the city? Or somebody on the outside, Nehemiah ends the chapter, doesn't he, saying that sound was heard far away. I mean, there's something that's just incredible about singing. Music has this amazing way of just diving in right to our hearts, doesn't it? of connecting right with our emotions. There have been times where I've sat and listened to instrumental music and just wept because it just hits you emotionally. I don't know why. I don't know if anybody does, but that music just hits us in the heart, doesn't it? And here's what's so beautiful is that when you add words to music and you have song, then you've connected the cognitive and the emotional, the head and the heart together in an incredible way. It is one of the experiences, I think, that is the most holistic experience for a person, to be able to sing and to sing with others, to hear the music, have it hit you emotionally, to sing the words and to know them cognitively, and to have that come together in a way that's just not present any other way. It's beautiful to sing God's praises together. So that's kind of where we are with our first three scenes of dedication. But I told you there was four. Keep that in the back of your head for just a second, because I also want to talk about this. What do you think they were singing? I probably have a bad habit of this. I sometimes like to speculate, and I wonder, and I ask too many questions, and I think, well, we're not told what they were singing. What were they they singing? So we're going to speculate a little bit. What could it have been that they were singing together? Well, it could have been 
Psalm 147. In fact, some scholars actually think that Psalm 147 was written for this occasion. Listen to the words. It actually makes sense. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Much like we sang before, welcome home, all you refugees, come in. Maybe it's Psalm 147. Maybe it's Psalm 30. If you look at Psalm 30 in your Bible, it's got an inscription probably there that says, a Psalm of David for the dedication of the temple. Again, David did not live to see the dedication of the temple, but it looks like he wrote a psalm in preparation for it. And it could be that that Psalm 30 was actually sung at that first temple dedication or at the second temple dedication and maybe even here at the dedication of the wall as well. But I tell you what, my money is on Psalm 118. Listen to these words again from Psalm 118 and imagine yourself amongst the people on the wall singing praises to the Lord together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I might enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Wouldn't it have been glorious to celebrate that dedication with those words? Okay, there's our three scenes. I told you we've got four and to wait for it, and here it is. Our fourth scene is actually not one that you're going to find in your Old Testament. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But it is probably one that you're going to be somewhat familiar with. In fact, the word dedication that is used in 2 Chronicles 7 and in Ezra and in Nehemiah is a Hebrew word that you are probably familiar with. The Hebrew word that's used there that we translate dedication is the word Hanukkah. Surprised? Hanukkah. Now, some of you may know the story of Hanukkah. I did not growing up. Maybe growing up like me, you just knew that Hanukkah was the celebration that some people got to do for eight days that you only got to do for one day. And they got a lot more presents than you did. Hanukkah actually, though, has its roots in the second century B.C., the time in between Nehemiah and Jesus, about 150 years before Jesus and about 300 years after Nehemiah. And during this time, Alexander the Great had kind of swept through the Western world and conquered much of the known Western world at the time and spread the Greek language and culture throughout. But after Alexander died, he, he was, uh, his, his, his empire was split. And one of the people that kind of rose up to power uh, in this area was a guy who called himself Epiphanes. Isn't that a great word? We talk about that word when we, uh, right after Christmas of Christ's appearing, God's appearing, and this general had the audacity to say that of himself, that God has appeared in me. And so General Epiphanes wanted much for himself and wanted very little for the Jewish people. In fact, he was an incredible harm to God's people in that time. 
He was trying to actually eradicate Jewish religion, and he had uh, outlawed much of the regular Jewish religious practice. He had begun actually setting up shop in the temple and offering sacrifices to pagan gods, mixing pagan religion with Jewish religion together, even sacrificing a pig at the temple, which would have been prohibited by God's law, even forcing the priests to eat the meat of that pig. And so there arose this group called the Maccabees, some zealots who wanted to renew God's uh, kingdom and His people and His temple, and they caused a revolt. They started a revolt against the Greeks, and they won. And for a very brief moment of time, these people in Israel actually had autonomous rule amongst themselves. And the first thing that they did when they overthrew the government was they went and they cleansed the temple. And they kicked out all of the pagan idolatry, and they renewed the temple, and they had a worship service to restore proper temple worship, and you know what they called it? The service or the celebration of dedication or Hanukkah. And that is what Jews today even remember when they celebrate Hanukkah every year. Now remember again the purpose of the temple. The purpose of the temple was to remind God's people that God was present with them. And so, in that first temple building, in the second temple building, and even there in Hanukkah, they were reminding the people that we have a God who actually wants to be present with His people, who comes to be with us. This is something that we cling to, that we celebrate, that we love. And now every year still, Jews celebrate this idea that God is with us, and we should be joyful, and we should be thankful, and we should sing in light of that. Now, why do I bring this up? We don't celebrate Hanukkah. Why do I bring it up? Well, interestingly, Jesus did. In fact, if you flip over to John chapter 10, when you have Jesus actually making this incredible statement that He makes that I and the Father are one, one of the most powerful ways that Jesus claims divinity, the most powerful ways that He claims not only to be the Messiah, but actually to be God Himself, I and the Father are one, guess where He is when He does it? He's in the temple at the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah. Remember what the temple is supposed to do? Remind people that God is with them. Well, Jesus has also said in Matthew chapter 12 that something greater than the temple is here. Now, was He talking about another building that they were maybe going to erect close to the temple and it was going to be taller and bigger and more grand? No. He was talking about Himself. In John chapter 2, when Jesus is cleansing the temple, much like those Maccabees did, cleansing the temple uh, of those who are buying and selling and trading, uh, what He says is amazing. He says, you know, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. What's going on here? Well, Jesus is claiming that one greater than the temple has come, that this reminder continually to God's people that God would be present with them could not actually be upheld in the physical building of the temple. And Jesus is saying, I have come that I might be with you, God with you. Advent's coming in just a couple of weeks, and I guarantee you we're going to be reading some of those wonderful prophecies from Isaiah where it says that Emmanuel will come, God with us. In Jesus, God has dwelt with His people. Jesus took on flesh took on our flesh and form, became one of us that He might dwell with us. And you know, I wonder if Jesus, 
if perchance they were singing the, song, the, the words of Psalm 118 during this time, if he might have even sung these words. Listen to Psalm 118 as it continues. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's building language, isn't it? Building language used hundreds, many hundreds of years before Jesus to indicate actually what would happen to Jesus. That the cornerstone of the foundation, the most important piece of the foundation, the thing that actually makes it all held together would be rejected. Jesus, the one who would be greater than the temple, Jesus, the one who would be actually God with us, would be rejected by his own. Why on earth would that be something worth rejoicing about? Why does the psalmist say that that is marvelous in our eyes? Well, of course, it's because it's the kernel, the very heart of the gospel, isn't it? This is what we cling to, is that Jesus has become one of us so that we might be one with him so that he might take on not only our flesh but our sin, and that he might receive the punishment that we deserve so that he might restore us to a right relationship with God. Friends, that's actually at the very heart of this entire idea of dedication. We have finished our generosity initiative. Tonight we will celebrate. We will dedicate it. We get to look back on what God has done, but more importantly, we get to look forward on what the purpose is for his people to embrace our purpose here in New Braunfels in this church. So we get to do that in a special way today and tonight. But let me remind you that we actually get to celebrate dedication every Sunday because we have a God who has come to be with us. We have a God who has restored in us the purpose of his people. And so when we gather, we gather with thanksgiving we gather with joy, and we lift our voices to proclaim the greatness of our God. Will you pray with me? Father, we rejoice in you this morning. You have come to be with your people. That is an amazing fact worth just pondering for a moment, that you have come to be with us, that you might take on not only our flesh but our sin, and that you might restore to us the union with our Father that that sin has broken. Thank you, Lord, for these echoes of the gospel that we find all throughout the Old Testament. Thank you for what you have done in the last six weeks in us. Thank you even more so for what you have prepared for us in the future. And thank you most greatly, Lord, for Jesus who has given himself for us. We pray in his name. Amen.